Hello and welcome to the Foreign Influence Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Nikolai. And we are here in sunny Singapore, sunny plague ridden. <coughs> oh, God. Oh, now we got to burn the mics. Now we can't even oh, leave God. this room. God, where's your mask, Bill? Because we're going to be stuck here in Why quarantine. Why are you not wearing your mask? For two weeks, man. How many masks do I need to wear? I'm well, not sure. One at, on the mouth. At least seven. Uh, One over each eye. Right, right. Yeah. The ears. Cover the ears. Any hole. You might want any hole you might yeah. Right. Exposed publicly. Any hole you, that occurs to you. You need to cover it. Yeah. If you're not following this, the coronavirus is obviously a very big outbreak still in China. Um, Singapore has the distinction of being the third most infected place with 58 cases right now. The only reason Japan is outpacing us is because they have a cruise ship. Yeah, that's basically the Dutch, right? <laughs> I'll claim we'll victory them. for number two. <laughs> Where those people are trapped. Yeah, they're trapped. Cruise Shit, can you imagine? I can't. God, being trapped with free flow alcohol and like <laughs> entertainment everywhere in your luxurious cabin. God, I don't know, nightmare. man. No, no, it seems pretty tough. I saw this video of this of this older American couple saying, it's not safe on air. We need to get out. Oh, I was really? Like, wow. Like a horror movie, right? I think you could make a horror movie. Because people are going crazy in there. That's the scary part. I wouldn't be too scared of the virus, but of the people. Yeah. Oh, oh right, right, right. If people oh, are yeah. really freaking out. Yeah, I heard yeah. that they're going to let some of the older folks off because they're scared of getting infected most of all. So they're going to let a few off. Onto onto land? Onto land. All right, good. In Japan. Just checking. Oh, in Japan? That's good. (laughs) Just onto a little diggy and push them out into the current. (laughs) (laughs) We've had a town hall meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Well, this is the breakdown of civilization that... But, that but we worry about the right? only reason they're not eating each other is because they're they're afraid they'll get sick <laughs> oh <laughs> i'm sure <laughs> you know speaking of the breakdown of civilization i talked about it a little bit at just at the top of the last episode we had last weekend mm-hmm. we had our food panic here in singapore uh when the government raised its threat level from a yellow to an orange uh and we actually that happened after we had recorded we were sitting there grabbing a coffee when this came over and then that night, man, food yeah. panic breaks out. I was, ha- I was having a steak dinner in a very nice <laughs> restaurant <laughs> that night talking about the food panic. Um, yeah, but there's still oats. So, you know, there's still oats. Nobody well, eats oats. I went and took pictures. There's an entire freezer full of frozen food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What cleared out was rice and pasta and yeah, toilet just, paper. Just the basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. For some reason, toilet paper made the list. I, I, I don't know what these people are planning. I, I have no idea. <laughs> is are there symptoms that might explain the? Uh, no, there, it no. doesn't have those kinds of symptoms. Huh. You can I, always just go straight to the shower. Just, yeah. And anyway, I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. And the other panic is around whether to mask or not. Right. Whether to mask or not. Well, yeah. People believe anything. So. Just don't read the internet. You'll be fine. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, don't pay attention to anything in the news. Yeah, just... Yeah. Uh, so it's it's weird, right? So we're here in Singapore, and this is one of the most infected places outside of China. But, you know, it's still only like 0.009%. I mean, it's like 50 people out of 5 million. Yeah, it's going to go up, but um, yeah, so we'll see. Yeah, but and then, the death rate remains around 2.3%, which is... So far, so good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not good, but could be worse. Well, it's not SARS at 10%. It's not MERS at 35%. Yeah, MERS is... Right. That's the bad one. So we're just kind of... We're trying to live through it here in good old Singapore. This is Bernie. 
As is Bernie. Yeah, so <laughs> Bernie. he's not a Singapore. He's trying to live I for am, it. I am a Bernie supporter. Bernie Sanders, of course, Democratic candidate for president in the United States. Uh, I'm a big Bernie supporter, and now he's won uh, two. Yeah, it's starting to I mean, look technically good. Technically, he, Iowa, he didn't quite win because there's this delegates thing and there's this popular vote thing. New Hampshire flat out won popular vote. He won the most votes in Iowa. So my man. My man as well. If I could vote over there, I would vote for Bernie and his, uh, what a European would consider centrist, tending towards right-wing ideas. <laughs> that's, that's exactly it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I got into a little bit of a, not a spat, but a back and forth over how this crazy wild-eyed socialist candidate is going to bring down the Democrats and guarantee a Trump victory. And uh, um, we can talk about how that's going to play out, but my point was, was you know, He's just advocating for everything they have in Europe. Just human decency. Yeah. Let's not try to kill the sick. You know? <laughs> let's, well, let's take care of them. put him on a cruise ship. I'm really unsure at this How about point. educating the children? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's All of these crazy ideas. Yeah. And yeah. Europe's done it. Yep. Right. Successfully Euro so. Yeah. Right. And so Europe has set up these... this So this program, and you can argue about the specifics of every program. Europe has implemented it in several different ways in each country, but it's there. So get on board with the program at least, right? But no, we, we can't even, we can't have nice things. And so what happened to this other guy, Andrew Yang? Can we talk about that? Yeah, well, go the guy ahead. That, the guy that's no one, that no one's heard of. <laughs> <laughs> but he but hung he, in there. He hung in there, but he didn't get any airtime, right? There's this giant conspiracy theory, uh, going around that that, that 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 we've been silencing andrew yang is that right yeah well he was on the debates though so he qualified for the debates yeah well apparently I mean, he was he was a fun candidate right i mean first of all yeah. that's the highest level so to speak that an asian american has ever gotten right In oh you're still you guys are still on that yeah all right <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can just call see. Him. We can have nice things. Maybe we could call him American. I don't know. Just <laughs> uh, okay. Well, fair enough. I, I will grant you that. Right. So, but he was pushing the universal basic income, right? Which yeah. has never gotten airtime at that level in U.S. politics. Never. Just the fact that you're even discussing it, right, is very interesting to me. Yeah. 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 Well, because it's considered a more libertarian solution to these kinds of things that Bernie's solutions would be. Well, we can get into that but it's clearly there's many advantages right to those kinds of solutions but i think that a, a more um so a less libertarian model where you actually filter people before you give them money mm. uh, it's quite sensible right you, you could decide to actually give them money for a prolonged period of time if they're looking for a job or if they're out of a job right you don't have to immediately go to um, a, a basic income model but yeah sure yeah why not it's interesting to discuss well, that's actually controversial in policy circles, policy design, because um, if you make it means tested, right? So you ask people how much they make and they either get the benefit or they don't, you ruin the politics. You have to make it universal or the people who don't get it hate the people who do. And so you undermine um, the program. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> but this, <laughs> Unless they're more privileged, right? <laughs> I have all this money. I don't need the free money and now I hate you. And I, I, I don't know. Right. Well, but you're getting money and I'm not, and I'm funding it through my taxes. This is coming from so, the perspective of, of a wealthy person. So as a Euro but I'm just telling you. As a European, concept, you would think like, yeah. so I don't need this free money because I'm not poor and destitute. <laughs> so maybe I won't take it. 
You know, until you Europeans develop a more of a fuck em <laughs> attitude, I, I really don't. Sorry. I can't even talk I'm working to you. on it. Next week. <laughs> yeah, all right. Well, and then the final candidate of interest, so to speak, in the Democratic uh, race is Michael Bloomberg. Oh, I like him. Yeah. Did you see this thing he did on how you get ahead in life? Uh, it was uh, just a quick short video, right? Yeah, a quick short video. Yeah, so the thing you have to do if you want to be successful, you're you're in first in the first thing in the morning, right? You're the first guy in the office. Got it. You work, you work, you work. Got it. You don't take a lunch break. You don't take a toilet break. You don't you don't take a toilet break. And you just keep on working. You just I don't know. You just you keep on working. You work hard. And that, that that's how you get ahead. That's how he got ahead. Apparently, yeah. That's uh, all you need. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Could it be uh, suckling up to the teat of Wall Street wealth through his oh, Bloomberg terminals? Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, that helps. I guess that helps. So it matters where you put all that work in. I guess being born white and privileged, I guess that goes a long way too. It might help. Because, for it example, if you work in a Chinese sweatshop, that attitude doesn't get you anywhere, I think. Uh, Every single person that has sure. to wear a diaper in a Chinese sweatshirt is a future uh, millionaire, sir. Yeah, it also makes you wonder about slavery. I don't know. Oh, like, that's right. I don't think that might not be a good model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that should work for everybody, right? Yeah, it should work for everybody. No matter, no matter where yeah. you are, no matter what Universally your applicable advice. Just work hard. You'll yeah. get ahead. And don't take bathroom breaks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he spent $350 million of his own money to basically hack social media and buy advertising, and he's it's working. He's rising in the polls. Yeah. No shit. Marketing yeah. works. Yeah. Right. So these are our choices right now. So the the longtime leader of Joe Biden, he's kind of fading. Uh, Bernie it. Sanders is is starting to win like actual elections. Uh, Michael Bloomberg is buying his way into the fray, uh, and Pete Buttigieg uh, would be the first <laughs> gay candidate. He's been to, throwing to win. so much money at his marketing campaign, and nothing's <laughs> working. <laughs> but he's coming in second place in these things, right? So it's a, it's a huge toss-up. It's a huge toss-up. This is just one fact before we leave this, though. That I found this uh, results from this Gallup poll that I just thought were mm. too good. I had to share. Percentage who say they have confidence in the honesty of their country's elections. Okay. In fin the elections? Not the government. The confidence elections. in the elections. Right. Oh, okay. Finland, Norway, Sweden, upper 80s. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Uh, Germany, 74 Oh, they're skeptical people. Okay. UK, France are right around 60%. That's surprisingly low. It's It seemed low to me. That's a result-driven metric, I think, because they have such a... Because they mistrust politics these days. So the elections by so, yeah, extension. Yeah, by association. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think. Well, that could hold up because the US is 40%. Oh, well, that's a great score. <laughs> that's the very best. 40% of Americans yeah. basically have faith in their elections. Oh, wow. You know who's our competitor in that area? Uh, Turkey. Oh, wow. Nice. They have elections. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good for them. Wow. Congratulations, guys. <laughs> congratulations, Turkey. And almost everyone, well, no one trusts them. Hey. <laughs> by the way, Mexico rounds out the bottom of this list by 30%, at 30%. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty, so. pretty low faith in the elections there. Um, so, oh, well. Oh, well. So who are we talking well, so, to today, man? Yeah, so speaking of elections, you know, journalism is involved in a lot of that. We're going to be talking to Alan Soon. Alan Soon with his partner, Rashad Patel. They have Splice Media. 
This is a company that focuses on helping journalism startups. Uh, and the two of us talked to him about uh, kind of the future of journalism and how that could be solved by taking less of a boohoo attitude and focusing on creating a startup culture. And providing readers with what they want rather than what you think they should read. With actual value. Yeah. While Re still preserving journalism, which will be my sore point. I'll go on and on. And Yeah, you had a rough one on this. <laughs> I did. I did. Well, let's talk to Alan. So uh, let's, uh, let's get started with that. Alan, thanks very much for uh, coming in today. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so great to have you, man. I've, and to finally meet you. This is the first time we've actually That's met. That's right. That's right. We've been on and off on emails for a while mm -hmm. or something. Um, yeah, I know. I know Bill has mentioned you a number of times. And of course, you know, I've, I've heard your podcast as well. Oh, great. And operating in this same Singaporean podcasting space, which is not that big. So I think we more or less all know each other. Yes, right. Yeah. All five, six of us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, for those who don't know you, so tell us about yourself and tell us about Splice Media. So I'm Alan. I um, I started Splice Media about say, well, five years ago now. We we just crossed five years. Um, the goal of the of the company is to help um, media companies lead the way forward in transforming this media space that we all care about. Um, I spent about you know two decades or so in media, uh, mostly as a as a journalist, as a producer, editor. Um, and it came, you know, kind of dawned on me one day that that what this industry needs is to help push forward a set of media startups that can lead the way forward uh, in transforming the space. Um, if we had to wait for the big legacy guys to to turn their ships around, you know, we would all be be dead by then. So, <laughs> <laughs> so sooner than that is good. So sooner than that, yesterday would have been better. Yes, yeah, right, right. Well, of course, this comes in the context of thousands of job losses in traditional media outlets, especially over the last decade, uh, many media outlets going out of business. So there, for those who don't follow the journalism scene, there's been a lot of traditional media outlets going out of business, people thrown out of work, and what's going to replace that is, is the question. That's right. And that's a very long discussion to have. Um, you know, we could get into that or we could talk about, you know, anything else. Yeah. Well, I guess I figured where I'd started is uh, this presentation that you give gave late last year, uh, a slide deck that was intriguing to me because it raised all of these kind of issues around the business model of journalism and the purpose of journalism, which we can't possibly get into with all of this. But I did like the one quote, uh, FFS. So, for fuck's sake, can we stop with all of the you get sob swear stories? On this, on this podcast, that's Shit, great. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, awesome. Yeah, so for fuck's sake, can we stop with all the sob stories about journalism? So, what yeah. are you talking about there? So, you know, the one thing that that always comes up is, oh, look at look at the the shit state that we're in right now with with media, and right. that's really frustrating to me as someone who who cares a lot about where this industry is going. A lot of that conversation is framed by the larger players out there who are worried about where their business model is going. But look, you know, this is something that we've seen in it's been it's been ten years for this ship to turn around, right? Ten years ago, you know, we had the you know the emergence of the smartphone as 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 a primary uh, device for for news gathering, news discovery, news consumption. We've had 10 years to figure out where media was going. And yet for a lot of these large companies, newspapers, broadcasters, 
uh, radio stations, you know, everyone's been dragging their feet because they were like, oh, look, but people still want to buy a newspaper, you know, and then they started to realize, oh, wait, people don't. Now, what do we do about this? Now we start laying off people, you know, now we start laying off the journalists who've spent decades honing their craft. So this is where my frustration is. I think a lot of this stuff we've seen coming. We've known that uh, smartphones was going to change the way that people consumed content. And yet we were reluctant to do it. We were reluctant to, to change the way we worked because we figured, hey, you know, there's still demand for our kind of journalism and all this stuff that's happening in Instagram and TikTok on Twitter or any one of these social networks. All these things don't matter because it's not journalism with a capital J. So that's where my frustration has been trying to to raise the level of this conversation, right? Every time you walk into any media conference, it's always about, oh, wait, no one's buying our newspapers. Why is that so? Why doesn't anyone trust us anymore? Why are we no longer relevant to the world? Well, you know, because you're not. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure it. they love to hear that. But isn't it funny how this is a reaction that you see over and over again in every industry, right? So Skype would never replace, replace landlines because it wasn't a real quality phone call. That's right. right? Wikipedia would never replace uh, the Encyclopedia, <laughs> encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> because it wasn't as trustworthy and it's not an encyclopedia. Exactly. And digital photography isn't real photography. Oh, I remember that conversation because I w well, I've, I've been big, you know, spent a lot of time in, photog in photography and I've seen the same conversations come up. Yeah. You know, digital cameras are just not the same because the bokeh is not the same because the glass is not German, you know, for whatever reason. Right. And actually, this is, a, this is an interesting conversation because, uh, you know, um, Clayton Christensen, who, who passed away a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, the, uh, the Harvard professor who wrote um, the, the Innovator's Dilemma, was talking a lot about where all this was going and how it took a small company uh, in a big industry to disrupt, you know, what, what is worth billions of dollars, right? So he had fascinating case studies around this stuff with the, you know, in regard to the, the hard drive industry, for example, or, or the steel industry. It was always the same case. It was always the big guys who said, oh, you know, that small little player that's coming up, who cares? You know, that's not what we do. Our customers want something else of us. And before they realized it, you know, the small ones were out there disrupting what the big ones were doing because they could do it at far lower costs with, with much better workflows, far more efficient. Um, and that's just, that's a cycle that keeps continuing and, and media is exactly in that, in that space. What I find interesting in that is how at any given time, any given point in time, the rational choice is to double down on your existing business model. Correct. And, and a lot of that is led by the customers, right? So, so in this book um, that, that Christensen wrote, um, he talks a lot about how dangerous it is to follow your, your customer. We always think that the customer is right, but what if the customer wants one single format of, of hard drives, right? You remember what it was when it was mainframes and then it was five and a quarter and three and a half and then now to, you know, to, to thumb drives, right? The big companies in the hard drive business, the big ones have all kind of gone out of business because they were holding on to the five and a quarter um, uh, formats when the industry had moved on to three and a halves. You know, and this is the danger in following a customer. If we believe that the customer is always right, then we run the risk of following our customer into a space that, you know, would make us untenable. So let me challenge you on that a little bit. I, I, so I'll be the fuddy-duddy amongst you two destroyers of all things that are good and decent in this world. 
so you say don't <laughs> don't follow the customer, but uh, in your slide deck again, in your presentation, you made the point of you've got to stop thinking mass audiences. You've got to think niche audiences. That's right. So can you kind of put those two together for me? Yeah. So the the premise of of mass media has always been about let's capture as many eyeballs as possible. Let's let's get as many ads as possible in front of them. So it was always about getting bigger all the time, right? The only way to serve ads um, uh, effectively is to have a much bigger audience. And that's that's always been the game plan with, with mass media. The problem with that is that now that we are all on our devices, now that we're on the internet, we are able to fulfill our interests, our needs, our demands for information and knowledge uh, in far more uh, segmented ways that we've never seen before. So the problem with the newspaper is that it assumes that everybody cares about the same stories. Everybody cares about the front page news. Everyone cares about the local news, the sports pages, the classifieds, you know, and here they are bundling all of that in one service to you. And that's how the mass media model works, right? You have, you have cable companies who are doing exactly the same thing. How many channels can they stuff into your bundled, you know, uh, package? And the problem with that is that it requires you to always be growing that audience, to always find an audience that cares about what you're trying to buy, uh, trying to put out and buy it. Now, the internet's complete opposite. You know, everything that you need is available in a segmented format. So let's let's look at, at YouTube, for, exa- for example. Every single channel that's out there speaks to a very niche audience that cares a lot about what their content is. You can find anything that you're looking for on YouTube, any kind of interest that you have, um, you can find on it. And that's, and that's the beauty of digital. Digital is a, is a long play game, right? It's a, it's a long play with a long tail. So the way, the way YouTube does that is to make sure that every single content creator that's creating anything that's interesting um, has a place on its platform. They have a way of serving that up to you if that's your interest. If you wanted to know how to make great podcasts, which you guys do know, uh, you just have to go out to, to YouTube for that, right? And and all of that is available and it's easy and it's on demand. And it's it's very often also um, long shelf life types of content, right? Something that would, that would be useful even two or three months from now. A newspaper doesn't have that privilege. A newspaper has one size fits all. And very often that, that all happens to, to require a lot of zeros behind it, both in terms of audience size and in terms of costs. So that's a that's you know that's a big difference between the two of them. Hmm. You know, but so if you're serving these these small niche audiences, let me think as the traditional journalist, people are going to miss things that they need to know as citizens, right? That they uh, need to know. That's interesting. That, that, yes, uh, need uh, to know. You need to because, buy this from me because you didn't yeah, know what you want. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? You might try to ignore certain segments of the world, but they're going to come back and bite you in the ass. And if you're caught completely blind by this, I, I don't know. Look, I'm totally willing to accept that it's on citizens to be informed about current affairs and the world around them. Um, but uh, when I think of what is journalism, it's... Yeah, given a certain amount of what people need to know. Okay, so let's talk about bundled journalism, right? Bundled newspapers, which mm-hmm. are now completely unbundled through other social media, Twitter, etc. Right? Um, what do you think was driving their revenue? Front page, deep analytical stories, or Snoopy? Uh, car ads. 
car. But I mean, like, what was driving their reader numbers? Well, why were people picking up the newspaper? Uh, yeah, not not the hard news. Yeah, I think right. Yeah, or at least exactly. that's what unbundling is clearly showing that yeah. people are more interested. In yeah, the, people are not interested in that stuff. Yeah. Now, and I. I Totally accept all those premises. Actually, it goes back way further than that. See, I grew up in a newspaperman's household. He spent 30 years hmm. in the industry. And it was back in the 80s when the first computer and different kind of ways to get things out to people were coming out. And uh, it was clear even then. He, he didn't want any of us to go into the industry and follow him in because he saw it absolutely blowing to pieces. Wow. Uh, but it was. It was in a monopolist environment where they had control over all of the advertising that they could fund, and again, needed journalism. <laughs> there, I still say there are, there are things that you need giant pools of money that existed during the Monopoly era, which mm -hmm. I totally grant was a Monopoly era, but that funded extensive reporting um, and deep reporting that, If you take it into smaller and smaller segmented organizations, you'll never get the scale to accomplishment. Well, just because the general audience is unwilling to pay for it and to subsidize it doesn't mean it shouldn't exist, right? Right. Much but like how do you science, make it exist. Much like science, yeah. yeah. Well, I think you know the the problem here is also we're we're assuming that journalism exists only in one shade and one form, right? And we believe that. All of us should be reading the same types of headlines and all of us should have the same common knowledge around what's going on in the world. And, you know, just looking at the, the way elections have been going for the last decade or so, we, we now understand that that was a fallacy, right? That was a, that was a notion that we had cooked up in our heads as journalists, as editors who, you know, and, and, and we realize now, hey, wait a minute, there are different permutations of what people expect out of their governments. This, you know, the, the way people vote has surprised us in so many ways in so many countries. And, you know, you could say a lot part of this has been due to, you know, Facebook or Twitter in, in influencing people, but also it's given them a certain voice about what, what they see in the world. And, you know, this is where I think, you know, traditional journalism is at conflict with the world. You know, we have a certain view of journalism as being, you know, um, providing insights and providing knowledge and helping you make good decisions as, as a citizen. And yet when the results happen the way they are, we say, hey, that's not very democratic, even though, you know, this <laughs> yeah. is what it's all about. So, so it's only democracy if it suits us, sir. Right. That, well, that's right. right. And, and they vote my way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the same thing with journalism, right? If it's journalism the way we like it, then it's okay. Then we can call it, yeah. then we can call it journalism with a capital J. Otherwise, yeah. no, it's, it's not for us. Yeah, I get you need to change your writing style and your presentation style and all of that to fit a niche or to fit a different demographic, to fit a different medium, you know, a different social medium uh, that comes up. Um, I guess just, I, I, here's the things that I worry get lost. It, to what degree does it become pandering, right? Mm -hmm. If you go for a niche audience, and I don't think we should just pander. And that includes kind of the facts for me, but not for thee kind of thing. You yeah. know, I got my own set of facts and I'm quite happy with them. So I worry about that. I worry about the scale issue that I mentioned before. Some projects are bigger than small organizations uh, can pull off. Uh, and then a third thing that I can't think of off the top of my head, but I figure that's, <laughs> that's uh, things that concern me about the future of, oh, and a commitment to facts. 
That's a thing. Well, come, I mean, ah, I'm yeah, gonna, I'm gonna you have to push okay. back on all No, of I got it. So, um, a guy in the Parisian startup scene. I say scene truth. Once quoted a sentence to me that I really enjoyed, which is, "Your solution is not my fucking problem." <laughs> I like that. <laughs> all right. If people, if if in the bundled era, right? Let's call the the that the bundled era, people weren't actually consuming the headlines and all your mm. journalism with a with a capital J, right? It. Well, first of all, it shouldn't be any surprise that they're not consuming it now once it's unbundled. And second yeah. of all, it's probably not true that they were really influenced by it since they were not reading it. That is true. So, so you see, this is a problem that I've always faced, you know, having, having grown up in, uh, in TV land and radio land. You know, the fact is, back then, we had no idea what the numbers were. Right. We, we always assumed that people would tune in at the top of the hour just because we had you know, three stories that we picked as headlines. And we always assumed that that was what people wanted, right? We, we had no idea until now, you know. And now we look at the numbers and we go, oh, wait a minute, people don't actually like this. <laughs> yeah, right. That's actually right. the only thing that has changed, that the consumer now has the power. That's right. And, and we mm -hmm. also have the ability now to measure like we could never, right? We know exactly where people are spending the time. We know where they drop off. We know exactly how they got into to the network. Um, and all that data is now available to tell us exactly what people want. And yet we struggle with this question, right? We struggle with it because there, we, you know, again, going back to the whole, you know, I don't care about your fucking solution. It's not my problem. Yeah. Well, I, I, I cannot question any of what you just said. And again, in your presentation, you said like, uh, Facebook and Google, uh, they were able to extract the data about what people wanted and give more targeted advertising. Yeah. So, so this traditional model, the bundled model, where they had monopolies on this advertising, but they had no idea whether it was working, there was actually a lot of waste. Advertisers saw what Google and Facebook could offer and said, well, screw all of these other people. We don't need them because That's they're right. wasting our money. They're wasting our money. We can go direct and we can go you know, in a more targeted way so that we're able to deliver services that people actually want, right? And now for media startups, they have all of those tools right at the outset. Yeah, and, and you know what? The beauty of, of where we are in digital media, I mean, just look around us, right? We have a home office with digital equipment, with great, you know, nice microphones, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, all of this stuff <laughs> is there. I mean, apart from the hardware that you've obviously invested in, um, you know, everything that you need to reach an audience is basically free for you as a podcaster. Yes. Yeah, which is tremendous. You can just use your phone. Yeah. That's all or just use your saying. phone even, yeah. right? Yeah. So this is the kind of stuff that you couldn't have done 10 years ago. Yeah. You know, it would have been impossible. And, and we were talking earlier about how you guys would re record this remotely. Again, 10 years ago, no way right. would that have been possible. And now the fact that it's free is just, it's just mind boggling. It means everyone who's out there is able to go create, start something on their own. Uh, and serve an audience that, that they know. And and you, again, you call it a golden age of media. Yes. Everybody talks doom and gloom, but it's actually a golden age. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and the fact that you're able to do this stuff for free, you're able to test quickly, you know, the, the fact that you're able to target and figure out who's interested, you know, that is the kind of stuff that we never had when I started my, my career in journalism. Yeah, but how do you make a living, right? So, th so this is still the problem. You can be a creator, 
you know, loss leader kind of thing. To be honest about the economics of this podcast, this isn't making big bucks for us, hey. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, Nikolai's <laughs> pocketing all of it. Clearly, I need to take control of the books. Uh, you know, got to buy their royalty rights on him. <laughs> Never yes. work with a Dutch guy. What can I oh, tell you? <laughs> that was my first mistake. <laughs> You know, it's it's a, a loss leader for other projects, essentially, that we have Absolutely. going, right? Yep. Yep. Um, how do you how do you turn it into stable incomes for people so that they can deliver this content? So, you know, going back to the bundled newspaper, right? The, the loss leader was news. Yeah. Right? So the news business, the news department was always going to be the cost center. The places that, that money was being made was often in sports. It was often mm-hmm. in classifieds. So it's the same kind of thing that, that we're seeing, you know, once again, right? The, 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 the other part of this question, this equation, is that we often talk about profits and we don't think enough about where the costs are. For someone to run a newspaper operation, the cost of running the printing presses, the cost of getting the delivery trucks to drop off the newspapers at 7-Eleven every morning, all that adds to the final, you know, to, to the bottom line of the business, right? Um, again, like for you to start a media business today that allows you to create great content to reach the audience that you want and to be able to measure all that, that is almost free, Right. At this stage, if you're starting a media company, the cost is really around your time and your ability to learn yes. these new tools, your ability to, to quickly test and see whether you actually do have an audience that you thought you did. And then the monetization comes after that, right? So the, you know, there is a, a flywheel effect to all of this stuff. There is a network effect to everything that, that we do, right? You know, the podcast that you have here serves a bigger purpose. Um, it gets your ideas out there. It helps you build, you know, other businesses around it. Um, it's the same with newspapers. It's always been the same, right? It's never been one hook. It's been one way to get into the network, and that's how it was monetized. Yeah, yeah. You know, because the tools are so inexpensive and uh, there are so many people jumping into the media space, essentially doing it for free, as we are doing it for free today, um, the competition is insane. There's something like 800,000 podcasts out there right now. Yeah. Um, Discoverability becomes a huge issue. What are solutions to being found in a ridiculously crowded media space? Well, I would I would double down at what you consider your community to be. You know, how do you know that you're re- you're reaching the right people? Let's start there. Um, how do you know if you are in fact providing a true service, a, a service that people want? Right. Again, going back to the solutions and the problems. Right. Um, how can you distill your assumptions of that? and test it quickly to figure out exactly whether you have a community there that, that you thought you did. The moment you understand the value that you're creating for them, that's where you can take the next step up and say, okay, this is how we're going to build another service on top of this that extracts that value. Hmm. So everything begins with your assumption. You know, are you, you're assuming that the people who are listening out there to this podcast have a particular problem that they want solved that they can learn through this. Yeah. Um, now, what is that value that you're providing them? And yeah. understanding that 
allows you to figure out exactly what would be the best way to monetize it. It could be, you know, an event that you run. It could be a newsletter that you provide um, in a paid, you know, it's a, it's a paid model. It could be, um, it could be advertising, right? It could be any one of these different types of things. But the only way that you're going to discover that is when you realize what the value is that you're creating for for your end, you know, customer, your listener. Yeah, the days of doing stuff without providing value are just over. <laughs> Unfortunately, fine if you want to be that way about it. <laughs> but okay, so that's all nice and dandy, right? But you're worried about journalism with a capital J. Where I, I am. That's where I was about to go back to. Where does that go? <laughs> well, okay. So let's go a little bit more meta on this. Does it even exist? What is it? What is journalism? I have an answer, uh, and it is that commitment to facts and calling bullshit. Um, but that's almost a mental tribe of people than it is any kind of institution. So I worry about that commitment to to fact, yeah, and to calling bullshit and to shared experience. But isn't that more likely to flourish today than it would have been likely to flourish in the past? The past, the mm. journalists were a centralized tribe taking money from one or just a bunch of institutions, right? Now they're potentially... Um, whoever adheres to your ethos mm -hmm. and doesn't necessarily get paid by anyone other than the people consuming the content that they create. Right, but if we just follow the bucks, we get to Fox News. Right? That is, yeah, that's true. I mean, Fox, some kind of Murdoch. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. So, so that brings me back to the, the pandering aspect of it. What, what can't we afford to lose? We, we can't afford as a society not as a business. I totally acknowledge all of this around forming a business, right? It makes complete sense to me and the logics, you, you can't argue with it. But are we losing something societally that I would call big J journalism, which is just a, a commitment to not pandering? Are you sure that it's not flourishing actually? Because when I look at uh, niches that I'm interested in, mm -hmm. right? I have never been able to get more objective and higher quality information on those subjects than I do today. That's right. So startups, for example, right? I'm subscribed to a bunch of newsletters that are phenomenally good. Mm. And and I could never have read that kind of information on startups even five years ago. Mm. So are you sure that actually very niche journalism with a capital J isn't flourishing? Well, and I would undermine my own concerns by saying like with Twitter. So Twitter comes up for a lot of criticism. It's, you know, it's a garbage heap of all this thing. Actually, if you use Twitter right and you follow the right people, you get more information and insight mm. instantaneously. That's right. Right. On whatever is happening in the news, right? Something happens. You can go on Twitter and find really intelligent commentary if you edit it correctly. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree. There's... There is a flourishing of more solid information well, out there. Well, Twitter is like any other network, right? So, I mean, you know, you are the sum of the people that you associate yourself with. And that's the same with, with any kind of social platform. Um, but, you know, going back to, to, your, to your point about journalism with a capital J, um, for some reason, we seem to believe that journalism was great back then. <laughs> <laughs> and and for a yeah, bunch yeah, of people yeah. who who need to be critical about about this stuff, we as journalists don't want to ever assume that 
you know, maybe there was a part of society that really didn't care what we were putting out. Maybe they had a different point of view. Maybe there were segments of society that never ever saw themselves on the front page of a newspaper. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I I struggle, right? I think we 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 do have this this fantastically romantic view of what journalism was because we all kind of grew up in that in that era, right? Um, but at the same time, you look at all the people who were missed out of that conversation, who who never made it to the front page, and you know the the reason why we all have a cohesive view of of the world is because we've simplified it so much in the old in the old days, right? When everything was simplified to one headline on a newspaper or or the the evening news, and you think of all the opportunities that we missed as a civilization to understand people more, to get into you know, people's needs and wants a bit more. And now we actually do have that. We, you know, you just have to flick through your, your newsfeed to realize how diverse even your social network is and how you have people who have very different views from you, um, which often scares me. I mean, me. they're all wrong. They're, they're all wrong. That's yeah. why I stay away from Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the people I have on so it. I try not to have too many conversations. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I... um. Uh, just the one last thing uh, that I concern about that there's possibly new market startup solutions to is this scale issue. So um, oftentimes information isn't squeezed out of big, powerful institutions unless you file high power, expensive lawsuits, for example, right, to to get things out of people. So as we create, which I I actually love, and I'm participating in it here, a vital vital startup ecosystem of journalism startups. Um, just somehow we also need to come up with these ways of emulating the benefits that we had from scale organizations, big organizations right. with deep pockets to fight these legal battles mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But again, that could be another startup, right? Uh, That's right. Almost a co-op kind of arrangement. That's right. Or or a fund that supports the uh, the legal work that needs to go into something like that, right? So I think the important thing is to figure out exactly what is worth saving from old journalism. Uh, what are some of the skills, some of the habits that we had as journalists that that we think are are useful, uh, and then find a way to 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 cultivate that, right? If it's about you know it's if it's about the the, the ability of a large newspaper to defend itself from defamation lawsuits, then let's find a way to, to solve that part of it instead of trying to save, you know, the newspaper industry. Yeah, and bundling, as you say. Oh, I would argue the problem is solved by, by scale. You can't shut them all up, right? That's right. Oh. Uh-huh. oh, but you can destroy the life of an individual. Yeah, of an individual, not of everyone. I guess, man. That, that's, that's I don't want to difficult. be that one. <laughs> In fact, I'm deleting this conversation. I don't even want to be on the edge with this. Well, Alan, this was great. Obviously, we touched on uh, kind of on the surface level of a bunch of different topics, and um, I'd be interested in having you back on sometime Absolutely. to go kind of deeper into specific niches of this universe. And whatever you like. Okay. Uh, but I do want to talk a little bit about Splice Beta, which uh, is a big annual conference that was set to go in like two weeks. Now, unfortunately, That's right. Eight days from now, in fact. Yeah. Oh, one mm. week. Um, Almost, yeah. But delayed because of the coronavirus. Yeah. But 
please just explain what you're doing with that because it's just supposed to be postponed. It's kind of the culmination of these various things that you're trying to do in the media space. Well, exactly. So, yeah. So, you know, our goal with beta is to find a way to celebrate what media startups are doing all, all across Asia, right? So all these questions that you've been asking, you know, on this podcast is, have been great because you're, you're basically saying, where are these startups? What are their case studies? What have they been able to achieve? How were they able to do that? So, you know, this is one of the things that we wanted to, to solve by building Splice Beta uh, to provide a showcase of some of the, the most wonderful media startups that, we, that we've come across in this space so that we can all learn from each other and, and figure out exactly where, you know, where our commonalities are and, and, you know, what can we extract from that, right? So everyone's got the same questions around how to monetize and how to build a more sustainable business. Um, you know, how do you build a media startup that stands up against governments, right, for example. So a lot of these conversations, uh, you know, this is what we want to capture at, at Splice Beta. Uh, unfortunately, we can't do it in February as we wanted to. Um, so we've moved, it, we've moved it now to September 22nd. Uh, also the same place in, in Chiang Mai. We love that, that city. We think it's, it's got a great startup vibe to it. I know you can't make it out there this time, but... Yeah, I won't know, be I'm able gonna to I'm going to make try it. to make it out. I'm not sure, but I'm going to try. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think we've talked about this before that we're both moving back to our home countries right. uh, this summer. So I'll see if I can make it back in September. And sounds like you're committed, man. To trying? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, the level of commitment is just astounding. <laughs> That's right. Through the roof. Yeah. Alan, thank you very much. Really appreciate your coming into the studio on this thank is a you, great Bill. conversation. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Thanks again to Alan Soon for coming here on the Foreign Influence Podcast. Uh, a great conversation. And uh, as I mentioned, I'll try to have him back on. Yeah, to, man. To talk about we should. some segments Definitely. of this large conversation we dive in. Yeah. that we had. Uh, you know, that brings us to the end of the show. This is where we do the good news. Oh. So I'll bring in the good news. Because, you know, a lot of things are pretty depressing. So we do like to do the good news. Yeah. And I have one piece of it. It's that they got giant rains in New South Wales, Australia, and put out those damn fires. Oh, wow. Yeah. It oh, wait, brought some flooding. mean that the, the koalas are back? Oh, there's going to be more koalas. Is this really good news? No, that's good. Come on. Look, they're cute. They're fuzzy. They're smooth little brains. <laughs> Yes, we'll have to explain that one later. Maybe I'll put it in the newsletter. Speaking of that, please do sign up for the newsletter. That's where we put in links and other uh, information and topics we couldn't get to. Uh, And go on to Facebook as well. We have a Facebook Mm -hmm. page where you can talk to us. Uh, So check those out. Yeah, check it out. And And share. And share, please. Sharing is caring. All right, thanks, everybody. And we will be back next week. Talk soon. 